With all the political polarization, hateful rhetoric, stereotyping, and name-calling, I have a question. What if we took Jesus' teaching seriously enough to love our neighbors, even politically? I'm Taylor Drake. I'm Brian Jennings. And this is the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. This is our third episode of the series, Love Your Neighbor Politically, where we look to apply the biblical commands and principles of Scripture in this polarizing culture we call America. Hey, Brian. Hey, Taylor. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Yourself? It's good. You know, we've been doing this little uh, series of episodes talking about loving your neighbor politically, but I don't know if you've seen the news this week, and I think we've succeeded. I don't know if we even need to go on. Seems like everybody's just maybe taking the podcast to heart. I feel like I'm being set up for something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe maybe we should move on. Maybe. Uh, maybe you want to give everybody kind of a little recap where we've been? Sure thing. So in the series, 10 Ways You Can Love Your Neighbor Politically, so far we have Judge Your Own, Reject Sensationalized Fear, Engage Before You Contend, Be Quick to Listen, be slow to speak, be slow to anger, and parentheses, smart with passion, parentheses, and follow the kingdom's rule book. Today we're going to look at the last three, beginning with quit yelling at the opposite extremes. Um, have you ever read the book uh, St. Francis of Assisi by G.K. Chesterton? No, no, no. Tell us about it. It's one of my favorite biographies. Uh, Chesterton has a, a really good knack for explaining the world in a way that most of us wouldn't consider, but he begins the book by establishing his philosophy for writing the biography. He says that there's two extremes that you can go to when it comes to representing or depicting someone. You can make them the prince of angels who did no wrong, who was this amazing, perfect person who nobody has anything ill to speak of. But the other extreme is that they are the devil himself, that they are ruining everything, they've done nothing right, and there's nothing good to speak um, of concerning them. But Chesterton says he's going to take the harder route. He's going to actually do his best to depict St. Francis as he is, and that is a person, both good and bad, evil and righteous, sinful and repentant. So this leads us to number eight, which is quit yelling at the opposite extremes. How do we do that, and what does that look like? Yeah, it's so easy, and what we hear on the with media so often is uh, we have those on the left describing the crazy right-wingers and those on the right describing the crazy leftists, and the only examples they ever give of those opposed to them is the, are the most extreme example. And so it if somebody is a four out of 10 and somebody is a six out of 10 on the scale, they never talk to each other. They only talk about the ones and the tens. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so they never actually have a good conversation with somebody who may disagree with them slightly, but is really well thought out and they would actually have lots of agreements with them. It's interesting. America actually, uh, the, the polls show have lots of in common about resolutions for immigration reform. Right. But the voices that are so loud and the voices that people talk about are the opposite extremes that are just complete amnesty or no immigrants at all. And those two voices keep winning the day. Why do you think that is? Why, why are the extremes so easy to address and fight against and remember? 
because I think it look, makes you look righteous. I think it makes you look good because oh, you're opposed to them. Right. And they're obviously terrible. So you're the angel and they're the demon. And we as believers are trying to figure out, no, 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 what's the actual person and the actual ideology we're dealing with? Why is it so important for us to not fall into those extremes? Well, I think, you know, we just see in the life of Jesus that he rejected that so often when uh, he was asked, you know, we talked about in the last episode, you know, do we pay taxes? Do I give my taxes back to Caesar or not? And that was one of those questions that you're either with us or against us, you know, idolize or demonize. And Jesus finds this different way because the kingdom is over all of that. And he says, no, 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 I'm not going to be part of this. I actually want to see people, you know, as Chesterton said, as human beings and try to find some common ground with them. And that kind of leads us to number nine, which is reject simple answers to, to complex issues. You know, that actually reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite TV series, The West Wing. And it's, I think it's in one of the earlier episodes, Leo McGarry, he says, the president likes smart people who disagrees with him. He wants to hear from you. And McGarry is saying this to somebody who is politically on the other side than the current president uh, and, and, and their group. Why is it so simple for us to give these soundbite answers or at least just kind of regurgitate what we've heard in our own echo chambers rather than really sifting through all of the caveats of the issues that we're dealing with? Yeah, if we say we're people of the truth and that truth matters, then we have to be willing to engage with stuff that's messy. And so many political solutions are messy. Oftentimes you take, uh, you, you root for re- legislation that takes you three steps forward and two steps back. But there's these trade-offs of like, okay, uh, we, we don't want criminals um, violently behaving and wrecking communities, but we also don't want to be so quick to throw people in prison that we disrupt family life and they're in prison for way longer than they should be. So there's these trade-offs that involves some nuance, and we don't like nuance very much. We just want these clear-cut answers. Because the clear-cut answers are easier to remember, they're easier talking points, and they're easier for us to express when people ask our opinions or our um, ideology. I think immigration is kind of the whipping boy in this podcast so far because it's something that we're very involved in, and it's a very big, hot topic. But that is a complex issue. And one sentence isn't going to fix it all. Right. Absolutely. I I remember when I started reading about immigration and I was like, oh, wait, there's four ways you can be in America as an immigrant. I was just thinking of one. And it's we've almost reduced it down to the southern border. And that's one of the ways that you might enter America. But there's a refugee program and the and the student and work visas and uh, people requesting asylum. There's these different ways um, that you have to like engage in the whole thing, or it's really unhelpful uh, for people to to find any truth in that. And I think for a lot of us, it's really hard to say, "I don't know. Let me go research." Or, or let me hear from across the aisle what the other group is saying. And I think that's because in our culture, we have Google, we, we have 24-hour news stations that are constantly giving us information and hypothetically also giving us 
answers to the questions, but the answers oftentimes either miss the question or are too simple. So how do we as Christians lovingly say, I don't know, but still engage meaningfully in the conversation? Yeah, maybe it would, again, take us back to our last episode of asking questions, you know, engaging intellectually, relationally. Uh, I know it's made a big difference for me to read books from people outside of the areas where I had read before and then to talk to people. So, for instance, uh, becoming friends with people who are immigration attorneys, becoming friends with several people who have gone through the refugee program, um, that just changes your perspective wildly to actually have firsthand knowledge of here's what's happening right now in America. Here's what it was like to go through this. Here were some of the good things about it. Here were some of the really frustrating things. So I think just engaging in that learning, then we can be truthful in that. And kind of like the debate format that I heard about a, a Yale professor once required uh, his students when they debated each other before they could make their case they had to make the other person's case back to them in a way that was would satisfy the other person. Right. And the other person would, would finally say, yes, you've said it correctly without twisting it. You said it correctly. Now you can go. I love that idea. I think Keller said that, that, that the, the, the true sign of a good debater is when they're able to present the opposite side in the best light possible. Yes. Yeah. I really like that because I think that stretches us to actually try to understand the opposition. It makes me think of the movie The Last Samurai, uh, whenever Tom Cruise is being taken captive in the samurai thing and he's asking uh, Ken Watanobe's character, why, why haven't you killed me? Why are you keeping me alive? And Watanobe says, I want to know my enemy. <laughs> now, as Christians, you know, we don't go out to make enemies. We have neighbors, and that's kind of what we're focusing on. People can make themselves our enemies, but our goal is reconciliation and good relationships. So even though we don't want to know our enemies, we definitely want to know our neighbors to rightly represent them and to rightly present them back to themselves, especially in their ideologies. But is it possible for Christians to disagree on political positions? Is, is it possible that we can go to the same church, believe in the same Christ, participate in the same sacraments, and still come to different conclusions about the relationship of faith and politics? Number 10. Acknowledge how faith traditions affect political positions. And I, uh, I read a book that was really helpful uh, some time ago, and it is called... Oh, I forgot the name of it. What is it, Taylor? It's the Five Views on Church and Politics from the Counterpoint series from Zonder Van. Go to Amazon, get those books. They are amazing <laughs> yes. and very helpful. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I uh, lost my thought there. But the book out kind of outlines the five traditional uh, views for, for people and how their faith shaped their politics. So let me just kind of run through these five super fast. Please do so. And just to give people an idea. So the first view would be the Anabaptist view, which basically says abstain from politics completely, or at least in every way possible. They would say every time the church gets cozy with the state, our effectiveness and purity is compromised. So again, we're kind of painting all these with a broad brush. I know sure. there, there's some nuance in there. Um, they would point out 1 Peter 1.17, live out your life as foreigners here in reverent fear. So that would be that tradition. Uh, the Lutheran view would be a limited engagement. So Martin Luther held that the church and government should be separate. The government only existed to keep those not following Christian principles in society in check. 
Um, and so some people would take that kind of limited role. Uh, the next uh, view would be the prophetic view, and that would be themes of liberation, justice, and reconciliation, all under the banner of Jesus. Many historical African-American churches come out of this tradition, and that uh, when you hear the I have a dream speech, which is really uh, uh, cloaked in lots of scripture and preaching, that helps you understand how that uh, tradition came and, and impacted people's, informed people's politics. The, the next kind of step would be the Reformed view, and that would be the really strong involvement. It would emphasize God's sovereignty over all things. So Christians are to be agents of change. Um, John Calvin influences this thought. Um, you might think about uh, the, the moral majority or the religious right, um, uh, Pat Robertson. Uh, and so the very last uh, view would be the Catholic view, and that would be uh, believing that Christian governments lead to human flourishing, so you're all in with political engagement. Those are five really different views. So which one is right? <laughs> and I think if we say that mine is right and yours is wrong, then we've let our small kingdom supersede the larger kingdom. And it's so healthy for the church to realize you may have your view of politics informed by a legitimate faith background. So therefore, I can still love you as a brother or sister. I reject to the nth degree the statements that if you are a Christian, you vote for X. Yeah. I reject that to the nth degree because I think that completely dismisses people's faith backgrounds and maybe their learning and their understanding and uh, their views. So I, w I would reject that. In logic, that's actually a fallacy called no true Scotsman. And it follows the idea that if you're really a blank, then you would or wouldn't do blank. And that's not true. That, that's, that's an error in logical thinking. So it's encouraging to hear that as Christians, we can come from different backgrounds and, 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 and origins, and we can bring these philosophies into this theology, which I think is encouraging. Absolutely. So there's the 10. We did it. Yeah, you know what? And I think we'll, we'll post them on my website. We'll give a link to that in a minute. But hopefully people can review those and those can be helpful for you because God's kingdom has to transcend and inform our politics. Well, let's go ahead and land this plane. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this mini-series of how we can love our neighbors politically. We are ending five minutes early today. Taylor, did you know that? I, I didn't know that. Five minutes early so that you can take five minutes to do something that we really do care about. I'm being silly a little bit, but we are really serious about wanting you to spend a little bit of time in quiet meditation and reflection with, uh, with your Heavenly Father who wants to spend time with you. So just run through this list of 10 things. I'm going to create a blog post on... Uh, the website, brianjenningsblog.com, and you can look through the 10 and just ask the Lord if he is letting the kingdom transcend and inform your politics. Also there, you can find my book, Dancing in No Man's Land, Moving with Peace and Truth in a Hostile World. We would love for you to check that out. I'm Taylor. I'm Brian. And this has been the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. And quoting as many people who are smarter than us as possible. Uh, everybody we've quoted so far fits that. Far smarter than we are. <laughs> See you next time. Blessings.